0: But we'll start with Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. I'm actually going to start with verse 2. This is the word of our uh, almighty God. And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, verse 7 You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain and Then turning just a few pages over to chapter 33 33 find verse 17 So the Lord said to Moses I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Dropping down to verse chapter 34, verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have spoken clearly in your word. We confess, Father, we are like sheep that have gone astray, and we wander much. Lord, draw us near. Unite our hearts to fear your name. And do so this evening. Correct us. Discipline us. Comfort us. With your name tonight. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. You, you may have heard somewhere. That there was a, a secret chord that David played. And it pleased the Lord. But God doesn't care much for music, does He? Leonard Cohen goes on in that song, which I really wish I just had time lying around in my office to to write a response to. I have so many thoughts on that song. Uh, But he goes on in uh, verses 2 and 3. He writes, as if from this imagined parody of david you say i took the name in vain i don't even know the name but if i did well really what's it to you there there's a blaze of light in every word it doesn't matter what you heard get over it every word's equally good who cares Verse 3, he then goes on to show where we get to when we have this kind of attitude before the Lord. He says, I did did my best. It wasn't much. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of song. See that kind of arrogance. Oh, big deal, I took your name in vain, but I'm going to stand in front of you. And I don't care. I did my best. You need to accept that. I'm not trying to pick on Leonard Cohen, who, by the way, um, unless he repented right before he died, which would be wonderful, but he, he, was a, he was a secular Jew. I wonder how many Christians assume there was a Christian writing this, this parody of David. How many Christians sing this song, Hallelujah? I, I can I could tell two seconds into what I just did. Which of you know that song? Uh, although most of you have probably heard it, if nowhere else, walking through the grocery store. It's on the radio. If you watch any television where someone's dying around Christmas time in a hospital, it's playing in the background. It, it's, it's one of the most... Uh, most used songs in American musical history at this point, so you've probably heard it at some point. But you see very clearly, right there, with verses two and three of his song, if nothing else, Cohen is attacking the third commandment. You say I took the name in vain. I don't, how can you hold it against me? I don't even know your name. And if I did, what's it to you, God? You know, sticks and stones can break bones, but God, if you really are a spirit and have no body as we. But words will never hurt me. Get over it, God. Toughen up. You need to be stronger. Why does God care so much about his name? Because I suspect it's not just secular Jews that have this attitude. It's many Christians. Many Christians. In fact, I think it's Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Ten Commandments who suggests that of all the commandments, this is the easiest one for the Christian to shrug off. Eh. What's in the name? No big deal. It's not like we can really hurt God. If He's the Almighty God, How can we really hurt him in how we use his name? I think too many of us think when it comes to the third commandment, whatever, whatever is written down by Moses on the last day, I'll stand before the Lord of song. The problem is the Lord of song tells us his response on that day. He declared in Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, notice the name theme in what follows. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons? In your name! Have we not done many wonders? In your name! And then I will declare to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. And in a parallel, in another text, this same Lord of Song, talking about the same event in history, declares at that time, they will be taken and cast into the lake of fire, which has no end. God really cares about his name, about how we act, as well as how we use it. I think he makes that quite clear there. And he'd made it clear before. He said, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for I will not hold him guiltless. It matters to me. Therefore, dear Christians, it better matter to you. What matters to God must matter to us. Why does it matter so much to God? I I, want to suggest that there are at least three important reasons why God cares so much about his name. Uh, I'm going to attach a name to each of these because they're not original to me. Uh. Dauma, a a Dutch scholar in the 90s, 1990s, uh, wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. And his, his comment on why God cares so much about his name was that God cares because he has made a name for himself. You know that concept, right? Making a name for oneself. You are nobody, but now everyone knows who you are. Well, of course, God was never nobody. But Thomas saying, God came and He entered condescendingly to us into human experience to have a relationship with men and women who are fallen in sin. And in so doing, He has made a name for Himself. You could think of Psalm 29, which we began with and which we sang part of. And the, that whole concept of God being over the waters, of being the God of the flood, he made a name for himself. Isn't it astonishing that name twisted by sinners and uh, thrown out of its right meaning has echoed in terms of the flood into how many different false religions. Most of you probably had to read at least one of those in school, it, or if you did liberal arts degree anyway, you probably had to read one of those in school. Uh, the, these flood mythologies that have surrounded the, the cultures of the globe. Because at the flood, he sat enthroned and he made a name for himself. And even as we suppress his name, the echoes of it reverberate. And that's just one example from Psalm 29. His name he has made for himself. He's a self-made deity. There's a big point in the whole Old Testament that there is no other deity who is self-made. He's made a name for himself. Well, well I think Dalma's was right, but I, I don't think he hits everything there is to say. Kevin DeYoung, a couple years ago, wrote a book on the Ten Commandments And his explanation of why God cares so much about his name was this that God shows himself by speaking his name. That this is how God shows himself. We just read it, didn't we? We read it with Moses. Moses, if I showed you my glory, you would die. But I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll show you the backside of my glory. And then what does God do? He declares His name. And what is tied up in this name that He declares of Himself? It's, the, it's one of the longer statements of a name for God in, in the entire Bible. There in chapter 34, where we read, This is the name. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, etc. Just hyphenate it all. That's the name. And that's how he revealed himself to Moses. Here is my name. If that's how he reveals himself, it, it makes sense that... It matters to him how we respond and view his name. But I think there's a third reason we could say as well. This one, this one I'm tangenting off of Jonathan Edwards a little bit. Jonathan Edwards famously preaching that the reason or the end for which we were created was the glory of God. Edwards was just copying the Shorter Catechism. And I think, therefore, we could say if God reveals Himself by His name, He's made a name for Himself, and we've been created to glorify Him, then glorifying Him in how we view, use, and think about His name is the purpose for which we were created. There's a very real sense in which the third commandment gets to the very essence of your created purpose. We need to take the name of the Lord very seriously, therefore. We need to take it weightily, the opposite of vain. Vain is that idea of, of uh, light, empty. It's like, it's like the wind. Think of Solomon. Vanity, vanity. Don't take the name of the Lord as if it's something that, something that just, uh, well, doesn't mean a whole lot. You can't grab hold of the wind use the name of the Lord as if it's just the wind blowing around. It's not of any real substance. No, God wants us to use His name, view His name, and live in response to His name in a way that is heavy, that has substance to it. There are, of course, a lot of ways, therefore, that we need to think about keeping the third commandment. I can't cover them all tonight. I can't even take the larger catechism and hit all the points that are in it. If you want to do that, please do that. It's a phenomenal answer. What are what are the ways in which we uh, are things that are forbidden in the in the third commandment? And required larger catechism has two big paragraphs, and even those aren't exhaustive. So I'm I'm just going to try to pick some that I think have uh, invaded the church in our generation some of which weren't there when the Puritans wrote the shorter catechism, the larger catechism. I think it's more important for us to think about how we break them in the church today. One of those one of those is by action. And you can find some great sermons on this one point, just unpacking it. Uh, recently I heard an Alistair Begg sermon where he unpacked this one point about the third commandment, that when we... When we live in a way that's not worthy of the gospel, we are defaming the name of Christ. And the example that's given just to to make it really glaring is, you know, you have your business card. You own a business as a Christian, you have the cross right on there. And you know you're going to drum up a little extra business this way. And then you don't come through on your end of the bargain. They they hired you, There was that cross, they thought they could trust you. You're a Christian after all. And then you you never showed up to finish the job or you never uh, fixed the thing that you did poorly. There There's so many stories. You, You just have to contact any contractor and you'll hear stories about the Christian contractors. It's taking the name of our Lord in vain. And of course, you don't have to have a cross on your t-shirt, your sign, or your business card to do that, do you? Your neighbors know who you are. And then they hear the way that you treat your loved ones when the windows are open. Are you taking the name of the Lord in vain before them? Or before our children in the way that we live in our homes What are we teaching them? Well, again, a whole sermon could be preached there. I've heard John MacArthur, Martin Lloyd Jones, Alistair Begg, John Piper. You could just go down through the list of, of whoever you happen to like listening to. You can find a sermon that spends 35 minutes on that point I just made. Don't listen to it. It might be a very healthy thing for each of us to do. But there's other ways in which we can break the third commandment and not take it seriously. I think one area in which we can do this is using God's name to gain power. Dauma, in his book on the Ten Commandments, has a whole section under the Third Commandment on texts in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that that tie together the Third Commandment with sorcery. Because in, in sorcery, there was an idea of using words to gain power. You do, think of voodoo. That's probably a, easier for us to imagine than ancient Near Eastern sorcery. Very similar concepts. But you might name the person, then you have a control over them, or something like that. But, well, I don't think any of you are Wiccan, so we can just skip right over that point, right? Here's what really hit me. Dalma makes this point. There are many ways you can use God's name to gain power. Gain the upper hand for yourself. You don't have to use black magic to do it. And one example might be, you're in an argument. And you say something like, I swear by God Almighty, if... right? What are you doing? You're striking fear into the other party. You're using God's name in such a way that would strike fear, gave you the upper hand in the argument. What are you going to say to that? He just called God Almighty against you. That's a using of God's name in vain, not simply in the, the, the vague sense that we used His name, but we were using it for not a good end. And I I think Dalma spends a few paragraphs talking about this word vain usually means empty, but it can also mean using it for an evil end. I, I think sometimes we do that when we lose our tempers. Or you might not lose your temper, but you could still try to gain the upper hand, the power, with a comment like, well, it's God's will. He revealed to me. God spoke to me and told me. End of conversation, right? What? What are you going to say to that? David, God's will for that. What is he going to say? Well, it's Satan's will for that. We're using God's name to end the conversation without, without logic, without rational, loving conversation. It's gaining power in the way that we use God's name. So we need to guard ourselves against that. Of course, then there's also the careless jests and I think in the church today We're very flippant with this as well. There are things we say and we never think twice about them It's not just today. I Had to laugh reading Dauma and DeYoung two different two different Times when they wrote Dauma wrote in the 90s and his example was TGIF TGIF right thank God it's Friday I, I remember two guys in my church growing up who would do that all the time. TGIF. I mean adults. I, I wasn't an adult. But that, that, that was every week. TGIF. Well, are you really thanking God that it's Friday? Are you being flippant with the fact that now you get your weekend? Wh- which is it? You could be really thanking God. But typically when we're really thanking God, we don't use four letters crammed together but that was a big thing in the 90s when Dalmer wrote his book. Uh, one of the networks even advertised their Friday night lineup in commercials. I remember it to this day. It's TGI Friday. Come and watch you know, whatever sitcom. It was a big thing. Well, maybe we don't use that as much anymore. So in the 2010s when Kevin DeYoung wrote his book, he didn't say anything about TGIF. He just, he just had OMG. It's the same thing isn't it it's just 20 years later but that, that's it how, how many Christians OMG OMG don't even think about what they're saying in fact I suspect a lot of Christians would never think to out loud say oh my god but when they've got their phone right in front of them they'll throw those letters down without thinking don't take the name of the Lord in vain. God won't hold his name guiltless who takes his name in vain. Maybe, maybe you don't do TGIF, OMG, any of those things, but it can also be other forms of carelessness. Like, and I, I think many of us probably are tempted in various ways with things like, Lord, help me. You're not really praying. You're not really praying. You you just—it's an exclamation in the middle of the conversation. The alternative would be um, and we all know we're not supposed to do um, so we got to throw something in there. If not um, then it would be this awkward silence, and that's weird. So we're gonna just throw something in there. Lord, have mercy. Heaven help me. Using God's name or God's throne, His seat of glory. Flippantly. And we don't think twice. We, we need to be on guard against these easy ways. These easy ways. What about sidesteps? This is the one I've had most people disagree with me on over the years. Side steps. I think there's two very... Uh, Very clear sidesteps, and I've been shocked at four or five people I really respect, godly people, people I love, who, when I made this comment, they said, no, Nathan, you're making that up. Sidesteps. When we replace one syllable in the name of God and think he won't notice, gosh, Jeez. And I, I think we sincerely don't think about it. But, but is God, is God, ignorant of what we've just done? Even if, even if we're ignorant of what we're doing, is God ignorant of that? I think we need to take this more seriously. Six months ago six months ago I, I randomly uh, I've been making this point by the way for years to friends about sidesteps and I actually had gotten so many people had said Nathan your gosh isn't just a form of God Jesus didn't come from Jesus to me it always sounded pretty clear but I, I got to the point where I was actually thinking well maybe I'm wrong about that maybe that's not the origin of these statements we make Maybe I'm being too hard on people. Puritanical. And and it was so comforting, I turned the radio on, and I'm 90% certain it was Alistair Begg I heard. And he was saying of the Third Commandment, he, he was commenting on how many Christians love their HGTV and their, their home-fixing shows that have... Christians associated with it and are so clean and enjoyable. By the way, I love both of the shows he's talking about. But his comment was, as as wholesome as the show might be, what is guaranteed every episode? It's guaranteed to be in the intro music when it shows different people seeing their homes for the first time. It's guaranteed to be in the commercial right before the end of the show. And then it's guaranteed when they see their fixed-up home. Every time, one of two things will be said. Oh, my God. Or, oh, my gosh. Every time. The, The world if it took the time to think about it, the world isn't confused that gosh is a sidestep. It's used in the same context every week on those shows. The only thing different in how one sentence is used versus the other is one syllable. God's not confused either, even if we are. And here's a very important thing we need to note, that God doesn't say, I will not hold him guiltless who intentionally defames and blasphemes my name. He says, I won't hold him guiltless who takes my name lightly and in vain even if you're not thinking about it. Well, not thinking about how you're using the word is taking it lightly. Especially when it's the name of the King eternal, immortal, invisible, God who alone is wise, who has revealed Himself by that name, the Lord merciful and gracious, who entered into our broken estate, Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. When it's this Jesus who has received the name above every name, with the result that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Leonard Cohen will bow, not stand. And so will we. Every knee will bow because it is something to God and it better be something to us and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord well so many other ways we can break this commandment and all of us I think have to admit that we have And he won't hold us guiltless who take his name in vain. Here's the good news. I started off with Cohen's secret cord that pleased the Lord. It's not a secret. David didn't harbor his secret way of pleasing God and getting out of jail free. himself it's nothing like that David presents himself quite differently after the Uriah affair than Leonard Cohen presents him in that song it's not a secret chord David's chord goes like this and it's the one that we each need as well for God cares about his name we should play the same chord as David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to Your lovingkindness, according to the multitude of Your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against You, You only, have I sinned. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And... My tongue shall show forth your praise. There's the chord that pleases the Lord. A broken hallelujah? Well, it depends on what you mean by broken. A broken and contrite heart God will not reject. And that broken and contrite repentant heart finds His mercy despite all the vain use we've used of His name. But that song which David sang before the Lord includes also from repentance that final thought, my tongue shall show forth your praise. You see, the third commandment isn't simply don't do this. If we are to hold God's name as a weighty thing, honor Him. We are to sing and speak and live in a way that holds high the name of Jesus, exalts Him in everything of our life, and shows forth to others His praise. May God make this the case in each of our hearts. Let's.